0: Thanks, Andrew. Please be seated. Or you can stand for the whole sermon, whichever you want to do. <laughs> do it, Walt. Come on. Do no. <laughs> oh. Could you move to the back? Because <laughs> that's going to be really distracting for me. I... Uh. And I'm thinking other jokes right now, but I'm not saying them. So I... For which you should be thankful. That's, there is a reason I write down sermons. Just so you know, it's you don't want to hear my sermon off the cuff. It's you would send me emails, and uh, you know they would not be appropriate. I'm sure. So um, now, some of you that don't know me right now are thinking, "Why am I here?" I'm not sure exactly sure. Well, it is great to have you here. If you are a guest, thank you, especially for worshiping with us on this uh, Palm Sunday morning. Um, it is a delight to have you. You're in the rain. Great and. Uh, I, I, did you survive yesterday without turning on your air conditioner? It's like, you know, way to go if you did. You're, you, you made it all the way past 75 degrees and uh, didn't have to turn it on. We came close to turning it on, uh, but uh, made it through. And now it's, what, I think 40 this week again? So crazy. Well, well if you are new here with us this um, morning, we are continuing our uh, work through the book of Hebrews. For the last few months, We've been looking at this book. It's found near the end of the uh, New Testament. And this book is a little bit unique in that it was originally given as a sermon. And if that's not unique enough, we don't know who gave it. So we don't know who the preacher is uh, of this sermon. What we do know, though, is that it is one amazing sermon. And it became so important to the Christian faith as the early church was beginning Uh, that it's likely how it landed with us today is it was copied and distributed among the church, uh, kind of laying the foundation for what it meant to be a Christian. And so today we come, uh, as we heard read this morning, we come to what may be to some of you a familiar passage, a passage that a chapter that has really been called the Hall of Faith, uh, found in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bible this morning and want to follow along with us as we go through it, now's the time to turn with me uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter screams loud with one main idea, an idea that seems both simple and scary, an idea that would be easy for us this morning to sort of pass over because we think it's obvious or ignore it because it seems antiquated. The one idea comes straight from the words of the preacher. And I'm praying this morning that these words will land on our soft hearts as we hear them. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, I told you it might seem obvious, and for some of you it may be antiquated, but hang with me here for a moment. If you're here this morning and would consider yourself a person of faith... I'm hopeful that these words, as we explore them, these words of the preacher, will help you grow in your understanding of what is faith and how does faith change us. But for some of you, I just have a hunch that there's some of you that are here this morning that wouldn't put yourself in the category of a person of faith. Or you might even push back even stronger at the idea of a person of Christian faith. You see, religion, or especially the Christian faith, may seem kind of soft to you, and you would prefer to spend your time thinking about and especially committing to ideas that you could know for sure, that you could know for certain. But for some reason, you're here this morning. I don't know what that reason is, but if that fits you here today and you're here, let me just ask you two questions to consider as I encourage you on to dig in with us to Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, if there is a God, wouldn't you want to know how to please him? And secondly, is there a possibility that your ideas of faith have been shaped poorly by caricatures that have been painted for you by people that maybe don't accurately understand what it means to have faith? So let's dig in. First, let's spend a little time in looking at how this preacher defines faith. And the preacher doesn't waste any time. As you heard it read this morning, look with me at Hebrews 11, chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is, see, I told you there's no waste of time here. I mean, we're just jumping right in. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Here are a couple things things I think the preacher right off the bat wants to make sure we understand about faith. First, that faith admits uncertainty, but also that faith believes with confidence. There's this cool thing that happens in this first verse of Hebrews 11. It'd be easy for us to jump over, but I, to do so, I think we miss the tone that the preacher is wanting to establish for what faith is. You see how the preacher pairs things that are known to things that are less certain or unknown? We have these two strong words, the word of assurance, the word of conviction, and they're paired together with things that we hope for or things that are not seen. In other words, faith admits uncertainty but believes with confidence. Confidence. Sometimes people have described the Christian faith, or faith in general, as a blind leap. I think the preacher wants us to know as we begin this, that yes, it's a leap, but it's not a blind one. As a matter of fact, as we dig in here to the 11th chapter, it's really important for us to remember that this is the middle of a sermon, actually nearing the end of the sermon. And even though this book is divided into chapters, we need to remember that this part on faith, is a continuation of the ideas and the thoughts that the preacher has developed along the way. In the previous chapter, in chapter 10, the preacher said that we should live and act with the full assurance of faith. Now, this should at least cause us to pause and be curious or question, how can you be sure of faith? How can you have convictions of things that you don't see? But if you stop and think about it, and just work with me here for a moment, if you stop and think about it, you do this all the time. So so this may be a challenge to some of you who are directionally challenged, but work with me here for a moment, okay? The car that you arrived here at church in this morning, where is it? I want you to point. Point to the car. Come on, bigger, bolder hands. Here we go. The car, here, there we go. Some here, some there. All right, you can stop pointing now. Some of you... Uh, we're a little slow, but uh, you all seem to be certain. but let me just ask you this: Could you see your car? Is it possible that Pastor Tom has hardwired your card hardwired your card and taking it for a joy ride now right now at this moment? I mean, is that a possibility? If I had said that better, it would have been much funnier. Um, but you get the idea. Some of you are chuckling on the inside I mean. In the first service, people were like, no, there's no way he could do that. (laughs) And I didn't know which part it was. Was it the joyride or the hot wiring? I don't know. I feel pretty confident he could figure out the hot wire. I'm not sure about the joyride. See, I mean, you probably wonder what he does when he's not here on Sunday morning in a preaching, right? There's a good choice of cards out there, I'll tell you that. Okay, back to where we were. Some of you know right now that there's some other jokes rolling around in my head. I'm choosing not to come out with right now. So, um, we believe in things that are unseen all the time, especially when it comes to our relationships. You know, in relationships we call it trust. At the end of the day, I I go home. Uh, Sharon and I eat together. We talk about our day, the things that we did, the people we talked to, our highs and lows for the day. But we don't demand proof. I mean, you can imagine a relationship where it's like, well, you know, where did you eat? Well, I had lunch with Nathan at Panera. Let me see the receipt. (laughs) You know, that relationship is not a relationship of faith. It's not a relationship of trust. This brings us to, I think, the other point that the preacher doesn't want us to miss before we begin. Another element of faith, our faith is grounded in a person. It's grounded in a relationship. Remember again, we're in chapter 11, 10 chapters developed before in this sermon, and it's been hard to miss that this sermon is about a real person, a real person, a Messiah who came to rescue us, a person that we can trust so the preacher makes this very clear. Look at verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, true faith requires that we believe God exists. We believe these things that he said about Jesus prior and that we believe God cares for us. You see, he's made it very clear that there's tangible evidence of both the life and the death of a real person. This is why you might hear at times the Christian faith referred to as a relationship with Jesus. And if you're like me, that phrase just sort of, I'm not sure about that. I mean, can we really have a relationship with the creator of the universe? And here's what's crazy, is that we can And this is possible not because of anything we've done or haven't done, but by what he's done for us. It's through an act of faith, an act of trust. Now, this terrifyingly simple act of faith changes us. And the preacher spends the rest of Hebrews 11 giving evidence of how faith changes us. How it shaped the lives of some of those giants that have gone before them in order to urge the congregation on in their faith. I think there's three things that I want to bring out that I think the preacher is highlighting this morning. First, is that faith pushes us out of places of comfort. Now you may be coming from a different perspective and have sort of a skewed view of the Christian faith. And you may be thinking to yourself, I think you've got that backwards. Isn't the Christian faith supposed to provide a security and comfort and a family to to do life with? I mean, I get it. We all long to be comfortable, right? We long for ease and security and safety. Things that are known. And yet I think if we're honest with ourselves, something gnaws at us that this really isn't, this life of safety and security really isn't the life that we long for. You know, sometimes we live as if we really want to test it out, but we know that money doesn't buy happiness, right? We know that ease and comfort are way overrated. You see, the life of faith calls us to more. It pushes us out of places of comfort And certainty. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, you may be familiar with this story, but let me just remind you that in Genesis 12, we read about how God promised Abraham that he would use him to build a great nation, he would give him a great land to really build the foundation of the faith. He called him to pack up and to move. And certainly in a great act of faith, he he responded obediently. And as the preacher reminded us, he did not even know where he was going. Now, this is the hard part for us, is that it's unlikely that many of you will be called to load up your family, pack up the U-Haul, and just start out driving, not having any idea where you're headed. And if you think that's the message that the preacher is trying to get across to us, you're missing the point. But let me ask you this. Where are you being pushed out of your comfort zone? Is God speaking to you and been sort of nudging you to take a step of faith that might not make sense. You see all too often we expect of or hope for God to give us all the details. I know I certainly want this. Could I could you give me just a little bit more? What I've learned over the years is that he doesn't often do that. He just wants us to take a step, a first step, a step that is risky and uncertain. Nicholas Wolterstorff, in his book, Lament for a Son, wrote about this first step in this way. He said, faith is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you up over the chasm until you're forced to walk out onto it. You see, steps of faith don't look the same as a strategic plan. They often don't make sense. Now, Let me be clear that I don't pretend to know what God is calling you to do or what this might look like for you. But I do know that faith often pushes us out of places of comfort for his purposes. And in our steps of obedience, our faith grows. You see, faith is like a muscle. It grows with exercise. Just like in physical exercise, when we are stretched, We hurt, right? We ache. Do you know what I'm saying? You've you've had that hard workout where the next day, or the day after, the day after, you're really hurting, or you've you've, that full day of physical exertion in the yard, and you're curious if you're going to be actually be able to get out of bed. There's tangible evidence that this is tangible evidence that your muscles are growing, that they're developing. This is what happens with faith. As we push ourselves into these places, as God pushes us into these places of discomfort, we're likely to feel pain and aching because our faith is being stretched. Our faith is growing. This is what we call spiritual formation. And I love the way John Stott talks about this. He says, the idea of spiritual growth is foreign to many people, not least in the areas of faith and love. We tend to speak of faith in static terms as something we either have or have not. I wish I had your faith, we say, like I wish I had your complexion, as if it were a genetic endowment. But faith is a relationship of trust in God, and like all relationships, and like all relationships is a living, dynamic, growing thing. There are degrees of faith, as Jesus implied when he said, you have little faith, and I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Faith is a living relationship whose growth we can take steps to nurture. So let me ask you just this morning just to consider and pause with me for a moment. How is God stretching your faith muscles? What steps of faith is God asking you to take? How is your faith pushing you out of your places of comfort. And if that's not happening, why might that be? Next, I think the preacher also wants us to know that faith brings hope in the the midst of life's difficulties. Now, I must admit that it is often in the midst of life's difficulties where I find myself saying, I don't know how someone could make it through something like this without a faith in God and a belief that there is something better. And the preacher points us to a person of great faith, Moses. Look with me at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, Moses' circumstances had led him to a life of comfort and ease. And you know, he could have, and I think I might have, chosen just to fit in. To live the royal life, I probably could have justified it that look at, you know, I've got this sort of kind of quiet way of being able to be influential. But his faith pushed him out of places of comfort, and it was painful. And for those of you that have been told that the Christian life is one of prosperity, Moses' step of faith and the life that it led him to is anything but health and wealth. As a matter of fact, the preacher connects what Moses experienced to the scorn and rejection that Jesus experienced. You see the steps that you take of faith? Those steps of faith will often lead to difficulty. And sometimes difficulty will come to you. And when it does, there's a question that sits there for all of us How will we respond in the midst of life's difficulties? And for some of you here this morning, I know that this question is not future tense. Difficulty has arrived. You see, the preacher wants to remind us that in the midst of our pain, our faith ought to help us see beyond our immediate circumstances and give us hope for a better future. But unfortunately for Most of us, I think, it's in moments like this of difficulty that our faith becomes shaken. It can cause us to doubt if God really exists or if he really cares. But the preacher doesn't want us to miss what kept Moses' faith intact. His faith reminded him that something better was coming. He was looking to the reward. And as has been said, never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. You see, faith tells us that this is not all there is. This earthly life that we're experiencing together. We don't just live and die and and that's it. The life we live here just gives us just a glimpse of the life that God intended. The life that we will one day fully experience. But this life, this life as we know it, is far from God's design and broken. And I believe it's this dissonance, the gap between the life we long to live and the life we experience that can only help us, the only way we can process that gap is through the eyes of faith. A faith that tells us that this is not God's design, that something better is coming and while we experience this i believe there's a third thing the preacher wants us to hear that faith gives us confidence while we wait you see sometimes we just find ourselves waiting whether we're experiencing difficult or maybe we're just in a moment where we're experiencing we're not experiencing the life that we thought god had promised to us or that we felt like we ought to be experiencing and let's face it we're impatient people who hate waiting And yet, that's what's happening in your life. You're waiting for the job. You're waiting for a spouse. You find yourself waiting for children. You're waiting for friends. You're waiting for someone to sit with you at the lunch table. You're waiting for that college acceptance later. You're waiting for God's direction to become clear in your life. And while we wait, the silence of God can be deafening. I don't know about you but this is certainly true for me. I wouldn't it just be better if God wrote out an individualized step-by-step instructions plan for each of our lives. I mean if anybody ever else want that it's like could you just make it really clear. But unfortunately it doesn't work that way or it wouldn't be faith. And that means we may have to keep on waiting. That's why I think the preacher reminds us of how the story ends for Abraham and Sarah. Look with me at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. As if we just didn't thought, well, maybe that's just an oddity with Abraham and Sarah. Go down to verse 39. After giving this entire list of everyone in the hall of faith, the preacher says, And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Now, think with me for a moment. If, if you were Abraham, God had promised you to make you a great nation. I mean, he, he had promised to give him uh, land and yet when Abraham died, the only land he owned was the plot that he had bought for Sarah's burial. And if that had been you, if your whole life you, God had promised you something and you got to the end of your life and you hadn't experienced that, and yet with confidence, with conviction, you believed that God's promise was there, what would you think at the end of your life? What would be going on inside of you? Pity? Anger, bitterness, maybe questioning. I can't believe I, I banked my life on this faith thing. I mean, this was stupid of me. Let me just be clear here for you. If you have those thoughts, the Christian life does not promise a happy ending here. Sometimes our waiting will be a lifetime. We may never experience this side of the new creation, the life that we were made to experience. But while we may not experience that, faith gives us eyes to see beyond this life, to a life to come, to rewards to come, a life that no longer contains brokenness and unfulfilled promises. It no longer contains struggle and waiting, no more tears and pain. Now, if you're like me, you may may be thinking what I was thinking at this moment as I was writing this. Well, that's all good, just really great to read, but I'm no Abraham. I'm no Moses. I'm no Sarah. I mean, I could never measure up to them, right? I mean, of course they would have faith. But you don't know what's in my heart. Well, unfortunately, I think I do know what's in your heart. Because it's in my heart too. And I am a miserable sinner with no hope for ever being inducted into any hall of faith. Not even for this zip code. I had someone tell me after the service that I might try for the zip code plus four, but I don't think I could even make that. And it's easy for us to think at this point that it's kind of cruel for the preacher to choose these giants of faith and hold them up as examples that we're to follow. I mean, why wouldn't he choose a group of miserable sinners like us? And then it hit me. When God asked Moses to go, he turned down the job and said, send someone else. When Sarah was told she would bear a child in her old age, she laughed at God in mocking disbelief. Abraham and Sarah got tired tired of waiting for a child, and so Abraham slept with his maid to see if she could produce a child for him. No matter how accurate or inaccurate the movie is, I think we would all agree Noah has issues. <laughs> Rahab was a prostitute. Jacob was a deceiver. Gideon was a doubter. Moses committed murder. David was an adulteress and had someone kill his mistress's husband. Just to name a few. You see, living a life of faith is not easy, but it requires no effort to get started. It's not something we can clean up for or something that we can earn. God can take the smallest longing in our heart for faith and turn that into the work of making us right. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But it's not about the quantity of our faith or the quality of our faith. And thank God for that, because we could never measure up. It's about the object of our faith. A God who came near to rescue us from the brokenness of our sin, and a God who promises us a better future. Let's pray. As we close, I just want to take a few moments for us to reflect reflect quietly, and for you to speak to God as you desire. Let me just guide you with a few questions: If is God calling you to a life of faith this morning? You you sense that smallest longing to place your faith and trust in him? If so, tell him about it. Is your faith being stretched in the midst of difficulty and waiting? God knows you and he cares about you. Will you trust him? let me just ask is God pushing you out of places of comfort calling you to take a step of faith let's pray for boldness our prayers. Teach us to trust in you while we wait. It's in Christ's name we pray.